Welcome, Nicolas Leupin, to the podium of Let's Talk Value. Hello, Verena. Welcome back to our listeners. Today, we're going to dive deeper a little bit into precision medicine and how that will help all of us and foremost patients to deliver more value to the system. My name is Verena Volter. I'm the founder and director of 5P Healthcare Solutions, a boutique consulting firm that aims to build bridges across the various actors along the value chain, which is patients, providers, pharma, payer, and policy. So it's my distinct pleasure today to welcome Dr. Nicolas Leupin, who is an accomplished hemato-oncologist with many years at the bedside in the clinic and also at the, at the bench, actually. And that's, I think, a nice link to the research topic that we're having today around precision medicine. Today, he is the chief medical officer at Molecular Partners and has many, many years, over a decade of biopharmaceutical R&D research and development experience under his belt. So thanks, Nicholas, for joining us and the audience today on the podium. And I want to start right away with the 50,000 feed view, birds view that I always do. What does value mean to you in healthcare? Well, thank you, Verena, for having me here. It's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, I'm thrilled to spend some time with you now here on that podcast. And I'm, I, I think it's a terrific idea to, to talk about that. So to your question, what is value uh, to me? As a father of four, I know what value is. It's what you get for your, your money, right? For your dollars, for your Swiss franc in Zurich. Um, now, value is very personal in healthcare or to us at Molecular Partners and personally to me, it's about efficiency, about um, generating value um, for different persons, for our stakeholders, for our partners, and to be as efficient as possible. That's value. That's value generation. Yeah. And I think this is, you and I have spoken quite a bit about what's the flip side of efficiencies. I mean, the easy one is inefficiency, but I think another word for inefficiencies and that we all suffer in healthcare and why it's largely broken is the word waste. And I know you have strong views on that and uh, I do too. <laughs> so maybe you want to continue I, on that notion. I, I do have strong um, views. I, I think there, there are many sides. It starts with ourselves, right? How am I as efficient as possible throughout the day? It's also... It starts within your own company. How do you make sure that people talk together? How do you make sure that we're as efficient as possible? And how do you make sure you build bridges, especially in this COVID situation where you spend your days, um, you know, over the phone or over video screens? And then it's about um, how do you design your trials? How do you make sure that you are as efficient as possible? So in other words, as fast as possible, as clear as possible uh, with your clinical trials, which is a part of clinical research. And I think, I think nowadays, I think it's about smart trials. You, you need to be, you need to ask yourself before you even start with that trial, how can I smartly address that question? Because what you don't want to end up is a gray zone. Right, you want to know. And can I just yeah. um, interject to help, like the audience, a little bit? So, sure. And I think it's a great 
topic to talk about, like smart trials that then eventually does, can, uh, how can we get better at, at precision medicine? But so are you assuming right now, or is your observation that there is waste slash inefficiencies in clinical trials? And what can you, can you describe what that mean, what that is? What is an observation where you think it could be more efficient for a trial? I, I think we could do better. I think there are a number of trials, a number of clinical studies that could be designed in a better way. First of all, you know, how many trials do we contemplate that don't come up with a clear answer? Like, did, it, did that molecule really help or it didn't help the patient? And, and one, of the, one of the things you always observe at the end of the trial is, well, maybe it was not the right question because we didn't ask the patients themselves or the care providers. You know, mm -hmm. you come up with a result that has no impact and doesn't help anyone. Or even more important, um, doesn't really address the need that you had. Um, or does not help to what we call filing a drug. You know, when you have to submit a drug to the FDA, for instance, you don't get to that point because the regulatory authorities, rightly so, tell you, well, that's fine. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting trial, but it does not address our question. This is, this is such a fantastic summary of the five Ps, eventually, what you just described. It's like, you know, the, 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 the study didn't ask the right question to the right unmet need not to the patient, not to the providers, and not to the policymaker, in this case, the regulator. It's, and, and unfortunately, it happens all the time. I mean, there's many, many examples where this works beautifully and new medicines get to patients eventually. So what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, that's one of the definitions I've heard around value-based healthcare. It's like, you know, getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time that some people define this as value-based healthcare. And I think this is the nice link to, so how, how, can, how can you and your peers ask the right questions and do smart clinical trials? What's your secret sauce? I'm not sure it's a secret sauce, but, but the COVID crisis was to us and many others transformational because something was lacking and that was trust. Trust that you all work for the same goal, that you all want to achieve the same thing, namely better medicines for patients. And that at the end of the day, it should help the patient, nothing else. So the patient is in the center of our interest. And, and with the COVID crisis, all of a sudden you had payers and policymakers, you know, asking us, well, do you guys have any idea? You know, do you have any any molecule that we could help you to develop. And that's a completely different way to work together. Um, so far it was transactional, so far it was like, you know, you would um, try to connect with them and ask, well, could we submit that drug? Would that help? Because we think it would help. And, and during the COVID crisis, it was completely different. That actually helped us to develop a molecule, you know, from the bench, from the first email, to first inpatient within eight months. So a process that usually takes several years, it took us eight months. In other words, and that's why I'm, I would really like to push ourselves to accept this as a new standard. It is possible 
it is really feasible. And I think it could be acceptable to many of us to, to just say, well, let's rethink the whole game. So I think this is a, a really a great uh, example. And you guys obviously have been one of the leaders um, developing on a fast track uh, new medicines for the for patients in the COVID crisis. And as you said, in a close crosstalk between regulators and pharma and patients and doctors, just as it should be a blueprint for the future for anything we do. So if we dive a little bit, maybe a level deeper around designing clinical trials, because I know that's really your you know, your, your expertise. So what, where's your mind at right now as you try to take lessons learned from the COVID ways of working together and how to design smarter trials? How, what are your ideas right now going into the future and what you want to take along from that experience? So, so the, and thanks for asking that question. There, I think there are a number of, of things that we need to take on as a learning and, and, and as I was saying before, accept as new stance. First of all, we need engaged patients, meaning also we need to ask them, you know, what, what is okay for you? What do you need? Which be the first question. And then what is acceptable to you as a clinical trial? I have, you know, I was just, we just had this discussion last week, literally, where we had a new molecule and, and some of the scientists were like, well, we could ask the patient to come several times a day to the hospital because we need to measure this and this and this. And then, of course, you know, we had, we had people say, well, that's not going to happen. And, and we had fortunately a patient coming in and say, well, you know, for me, that would mean that and that. And that would mean um, taking the car several times times a day and I feel sick and that's not going to happen. That's not possible. So easy, simple things that you need to rethink. That's just one example. But I think what we need as a biotech, what we need to do is what I would like to call um, patient poor data rich trials, meaning that you need to maximize the data that you get from every single patient typically in a phase one, which is basically the first trial where you use um, or you, you, you try to, you know, um, provide the drug to the patient. You need to test the toxicity, the safety. You need to measure extremely well a number of parameters. And that's where you want to have a low number of patients and maximize the data out of it. So maximize the data that you get from the patient. And then from there, you go then to the bigger trials, but always with the same idea that no patient is sort of, if you allow me to say, wasted. And in the past, we had so many patients that were actually not eligible for the trial or, you know, you're lost in the follow-up. And I mean, there's story to tell that <laughs> that would fill a day. And that's where we need to become better. That's where we need to be spot on. That's where we need to have engaged physicians. And that's also one of the learnings you need to have on the other side of the hospital, if I may say, you know, you're, you're the, the, the pharma part or we are the pharma part with the being in biotech. And on the other side, we need engaged physicians. At the end, you need to have a win-win situation where they get out with something themselves. And that, that is true partnership where you have trust and, and, and respect 
and, and the same goal. It's all about that. And it comes with communication. And at the end of the day, Verena, we have spoken about that in the past, right? It's about people. It's about you said it nicely in the beginning, you know, what value means to be to you. It's like people talking to people. <laughs> right. And and uh, now we have no excuse anymore with video conferencing being so popular. So it's easy to pick up the phone, get on a video call and, and you know, just connect and communicate. And that builds the trust. But you, you mentioned, I think, a ton of really key key points here on that way of your, you know, your tagline, patient poor data rich, which obviously means not the patient is poor, but you want the number Absolutely. of patients as little as possible, but it's a great tagline. And um, so I'm thinking, asking, I mean, as you said, ask early and ask the right stakeholders along the value chain, patient, doctors, regulators, and pharma together. And sometimes we have been too transactional along that chain. It's like maybe an hour and I'm accountable as much as many of our peers here who design clinical trials. We've been designing them in our back office, closed doors, not talking to anybody. And then we kind of dropped our final protocol written document on the desk of people and say, do you want to participate? Yes or no. So this was, I mean, more transactional, you cannot be. So I think on the way to really reduce waste in clinical trials, which is actually waste for number of patients, but also waste of money, right? And oh, absolutely. so yeah. I think something I know is close to your heart, like making the bridge to digital and electronic data capture. Um, one of the elements on waste in healthcare in general, but in clinical trials too, is because we've been using paper, pen and fax machine. I know that clinical trials had, had moved already to what we call eCRF. So the electronic paper version of collecting um, data, but then there's the whole data science part. How do you really maximize the use of the electronic data? And I know that you have some ideas around that as well that you may well, want to share. I, as you know, and you, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm very passionate about this part because I, I really think that we could do much, much more. Now, right now, as of today, you know, the databases, the different databases that, you know, are, are in a hospital or in a, in, a, in, a, in a biotech company don't talk together. And they cannot talk together for many different reasons. It starts with, you know, the wrong software, but then it ends up with the legal side of the, the whole story. And, and again, it's about trust. It's about communication. It's about the acceptance that whether you have access to patient data or not, you want to achieve the same. And so it's a long process. We're getting there slowly, slowly. But as of today, we're not there yet. Now, having said that, compared to 20 years ago, we're in a different world. In a different world, why? Because we have better hardware. Um, we have also access to existing databases. And based on that, based on what has been, and the good part is you can analyze a, a zillion of, of, of different data points to help you design a smarter trial. So out of the experience that is out there, out of all these genetic and protein data that are out there, you, you, you're able to ask, or at least try to ask a better question and to, 
to actually dispense the medicine when it's needed, to give the, the, the molecule to the patient when he or she needs it. And that's, that, that, that's really a very important point. You only treat when, when it's needed. Thanks for reminding us those two examples of silos. So you have a patient, so let's take Mrs. Smith, who was treated in hospital around the corner in Oshkosh. And so she, there's data about her clinical studies, her lab tests, her radiology tests in that hospital. And then she gets into a clinical trial with you maybe. And then you need to also do the same lab test and you need to do again an x-ray of her chest. So you will repeat all of this and then collect that data in a different database. And I think this is when people ask me, but Marina, what do you mean with silos in healthcare? Here's a great example. So for Mrs. Smith, her data sit in duplicate in hospital in Oshkosh and then in your company within the clinical trial. So that it's raising cost, it's increasing risk because the patient gets twice the x-rays, gets twice the lab. Uh, test and maybe you know has some bleeding when she, the blood draw is done. Who uh, knows? Uh, so the risk uh, is increasing. Yeah, uh, absolutely, uh, and it gets worse because if Mrs. Smith then participates in another trial, it's even triplicated, right? Triplicate, exactly. So, 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 I think, so that, that that kills me. That is something yeah, that I, yeah. personally I cannot accept. Yeah. Um, so, and I think this is why we're talking, and this is why we're doing right. this podcast series. Like, how can we do? What can we do about it? And I think. The two themes you've been mentioning, I think are a red thread in this series. So one is the what the jargon says, interoperability or lack thereof. So you said it, the software doesn't talk between company X and hospital Y. And the second thing is, is you call legal and data privacy. And often that's what people right away say, well, it can't be done because there's side of data privacy issues. And I, I recommend to the listeners to go back in the early uh, series of or volumes of this podcast. I spoke with a, with a lawyer and a, and a general counsel, and we had that conversation. And it's the same thing that you said earlier, how to collaboratively design trials with all actors at the table. Here's the same. So you can sit and say, okay, let's take the legal advisor of the hospital, the legal advisor of the company, and maybe a patient representative and then set and take the software engineers at the same meeting. Because usually that's what people do sequentially. Oh, let's talk to lawyer X and then to the next lawyer the next day. So there's no common communication to what you said earlier. People need to talk at the same time about the same topic. And it actually can be done. You can co-create the solution for the future. It's not gonna be done overnight, but I think the idea to say, oh no, can't be done because of legal, it can't be done because our software program doesn't work. We have, we have to move on and say, okay, now how can, who can we call up to join a meeting? No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and as you said, don't forget the IT guy because at the end of the day, it's most of the time it's very simple. It's very easy to resolve. And nobody had the idea because nobody has this understanding of IT systems. And, and many times, you know, if you invite the right person to the table, you get the solution. Maybe it's also the courage because what you just said, don't forget the IT guy. Sometimes we think, oh, we need to tackle this data privacy issue and let's, and we have a great lawyer in mind that we want to talk about the topic with. But let's be, or maybe it's not courage, maybe it's creativity. Let's be creative enough and invite quote unquote, the IT guy to that meeting. Why absolutely. not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm already looking at the time. Time always flies on these podiums. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I think we covered a lot of ground and I really liked your opening statement about what's value. It's like talk to people. It seems to be the red thread here this morning. But um, anything you want to leave our listeners with before we close? Well, uh, you know, overall, I, I think I'm quite optimistic because as I said, you know, we can do it. I mean, we just showed for the last two years that it is possible. And, and you know, interestingly enough, with a new program we are working on, we took exactly the same approach, namely very early on trying to invite people around the table saying, well, you know, we have this and this idea. What do you think about it? And, and it, was, it was amazing how much they engaged from the get-go. And, and so, you know, it's all about trust. It's all about people. And we just need to talk. Thank you very much, Nicolas Leupin. And to the audience and listeners, if you enjoy this series, please like us on social media where you see it. And I guess you can reach out to Nicolas Leupin if you want to hear more from his sure. experience and his thoughts and continue the dialogue. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. <laughs>